0: You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. So, um, that would be a great way to make sure that that happens. Um, with that said, just like just like Reed said, we're jumping into uh, our third week of Proverbs, and, and we're just kind of jumping around to different topics, different verses, um, and so this morning we get to talk about discipline, and uh, if you haven't been here, you uh, should know that many of us um, are young in age, and, and many of us also, or some of us even, are young in the faith, and so the reason that we're going to Proverbs, and the reason that we're going to Proverbs in particular to talk about discipline, is because we need wisdom, and that's essentially the entire reason that the book of Proverbs is given to us. And so if we want to live wisely, and if we want to live in a way that is wise beyond our years even, then it would be wise for us to go to this book early and often um, in our days and in our lives. Um, With that said, let's pray, and then we'll jump into these Proverbs. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord, we're grateful to be here, Um, Lord, we're glad to be found in the presence of those whom you love. And Lord, that we can know this morning that the reason that we are loved is not because we've done something great this week or because we've been particularly accomplished throughout our lives or because we have a certain amount of dollars in our bank account, God, but that simply and purely because the work your son Jesus did is sufficient for us. And so, Lord, I pray that the sufficiency of Jesus' work would make us not only willing but also not afraid of the more difficult conversations. Or that we would walk into life day by day with a confidence that can't be broken because we've been attached to you by this perfect work of Jesus and we cannot and will not be removed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would both instruct and correct us this morning by your word and that by your spirit, Lord, you would make us to be more holy, that you would, be, that you would make us to be more like your son, Jesus, and that that would be glorifying and honoring to you, but that it would also be joyful and freeing for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of us... Had we known the topic this morning, might have found this a convenient morning to sleep in, Um, the weather would have been another uh, convincer on that trail. Because the word discipline is what I would consider a dirty word in our time. As, As dirty words shrink in our day, that's one that is becoming one. You don't find a whole lot that are becoming dirty words, but that certainly is one. And uh, we don't have a ton of reasons to explain why that is, but I think it's actually pretty simple. The reality is that discipline is a dirty word because relativism is the ruler of the day. We aren't supposed to discipline children because they're supposed to determine what's right for themselves, even from the very earliest of ages. That's the doctrine of our day, the doctrine of relativism that says to us we are to live our truth because there is no objective truth. And so that being the moral grid, the cultural doctrine of our day, means that we never have a right to question anyone. Now this is a little bit ironic since nobody actually, truly follows relativism to its inevitable end, which is why those of us who may hold a biblical sexual ethic today are judged to be intolerant. And not only are we judged to be intolerant, but then we are disciplined, right? We are to be trained. We are to be corrected to be more tolerant. So in reality, discipline exists whether we ascribe to relativism or whether we believe in Jesus, It's a thing that we cannot, that we will not escape. And so this topic is important for us to address. Because what we're often told as Christians is that because we subscribe to the Lord and to His discipline, we're missing out on something. But we're not. In fact, I'd argue that the discipline of God is actually far better than the discipline of our relativist peers, but also that it's not something that we need to fear, but rather to welcome. And I think that's what Proverbs is getting at for us in these few verses. Proverbs 3, verse 11 says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Now, most translations struggle to translate this verse, and several different translations do well at different parts. And so I think there's ultimately one reason why that is, though. And the reason why that is is because there's really two different meanings or two different connotations to the word discipline. And so we get multiple words like discipline, reproof, rebuke. Chastisement. Because it's trying to help us understand that there's more to discipline than we see on the surface. Let me tell you what those two what those two connotations are. One of them we'll be utterly familiar with, and then I think the other one may be less so. First, there's a corrective connotation for the word discipline, right? Meaning. That the discipline comes after we miss the mark. That if you do something wrong, then you are disciplined accordingly, right? Some of us might think of that as discipline as punishment. But there's also a, a preparative connotation for the word discipline, meaning that the discipline comes before in order to prevent us from missing the mark, right? So there's discipline that comes before, which is, like instruction, where we're being taught so that we avoid the mistake, and then there's discipline that comes after we've already made the mistake, which is corrective, which is reminding us, which is calling, back, calling us back to that center of gravity. And this verse is trying to capture both aspects for us. And so it's telling us not to despise this discipline, not to despise the instruction or the correction, the reproof, of the Lord now why is that and verse 12 goes on to say for the Lord reproves him whom he loves he corrects him whom he loves he disciplines him whom he loves as a father in whom as as a father the son in whom he delights so discipline the instruction of God and the correction of God Is God shaping us? There's a biblical metaphor that you see several times throughout the Bible that that God is like the potter and that we are like the clay. And that he not only has the right to shape us into what he wants, but that he does so at his own convenience in his own time. And so like a potter, smooths out imperfections and fires the clay to prepare it for use. Use. God likewise, through corrective and instructive discipline, smooths out our imperfections and prepares us for appropriate use, for use in his household. You see, the glory of the gospel is not only that it takes us as we are at face value, which we talk about regularly. That There's nothing that we can bring to God that's going to make him like or love us on our own but that Jesus has done that on our behalf. right? We talk about that all the time. So we can kind of lower our guard. right? We don't have to be anything that we're not in that moment. We can come to him freely knowing that Jesus has done all that we would ever need to. But the glory of the gospel is not only that it takes us as we are, but that it also promises not to leave us that way. And The main way that God changes us, that God shapes us, that God remakes us, that God makes us new, that God recreates us is through his training and through his correction, through his discipline. Think of it this way. Many of us have done or are at least familiar with CrossFit. In CrossFit, there's a high, high emphasis on using the right form. That's why, usually, before you can join the rest of the, what's it called? Not, it's not gym, box, right? Because who knows why? Um, I've never done CrossFit, so. But you usually have to go to an introductory course, right? You have to go to that beginner's course where essentially all they're harping you on is form, 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 form. If you do it the wrong way, you're going to hurt yourself. So let us teach you how to do it the right way first. You're being trained in that moment. But it doesn't stop there, right? Once you join the rest of the people who are there, right? Once you join the regular group of folks, the regular course, the regular class, there are instructors that are walking around, And as needed, what are they doing? They're correcting you, right? They're telling you, hey, look, your back's not quite at the right angle. If you squat that way, you're not going to walk for the rest of your life, right? They're correcting you as you go. Why? In order to keep you from injury. So they're preparing you up front to keep you from damage. And then as you go, they're continuing to correct you to keep you from damage. Now, that's a simplistic analogy for Christian discipline, but it is helpful. But here's the difference. The CrossFit instructor disciplines to avoid a lawsuit. But God disciplines for entirely different reasons. We just read them in verse 12. The Lord disciplines, the Lord reproves, the Lord rebukes him whom he loves as a father Rebukes, reproves, disciplines the Son in whom he delights. So now that we know what discipline is, we can kind of ask ourselves the question why is it that we're disciplined? And Proverbs answers it for us because God loves us. His discipline is motivated by fatherly love for his children. And I think often what gets in the way of this, what gets in the way of us seeing it this way, is that so often discipline is accompanied by suffering. We tend to ask ourselves questions like, I'm suffering. Does that mean that God is punishing me for my sin? Right? Something bad happens to us and we immediately start to pray. We're kind of like, God, I don't know what I did, but... I'm sorry, can we, can we start over? And yet I think in that moment, we're asking the wrong question. Is God punishing me for my sin? Because the answer to that question is always no. To be clear, there are consequences for our sin that can and do happen because we've sinned, but those are never God's punishment of us. And I think, again, we will see that not only in these words that Proverbs gives us that reminds us that God disciplines those whom He loves as the Father disciplines the Son in whom He delights, in whom He finds joy. I think we can quite simply know it because of what he's already done on our behalf in Jesus. There's a a clause in the Fifth Amendment of the United States Constitution called the Double Jeopardy Clause, and it reads like this. No person shall be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb. Now, in regular English, all that means is that we can't be prosecuted for an offense more than once. Meaning, if we've If we've committed a crime, or at least we've been accused of committing a crime, we will stand trial for that crime. And once that trial has taken place, and regardless of the verdict, you cannot stand trial for that same crime again. This is just. And God is also just. And so he would never subject anyone to be prosecuted twice either, which is why Romans 8.33 says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So when we think about God's discipline, we should never see it as God's punishment of us. Because it's not. Our sins, every single one of them, if we are Christians, have already been prosecuted in the body and in the blood of Jesus. The judgment of those sins, the judgment of guilty, was given to Him instead of us. He took our verdict and He gave us the one that He had earned, which was the verdict of not guilty. But because our sins have already been accounted for in Jesus, that means that we cannot stand trial for them again. Not only can we not stand trial for them again, but we cannot be punished for them again because Jesus was already punished. And in Romans 8, we're told that Jesus is actually at the right hand of the Father and that He's constantly retelling that reality to the Father, keeping that in His ear, in His mind, day through day, that He is interceding on our behalf. Constantly reminding the Father, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, as though the Father needed reminding. And that's why in Romans 8.35, it asks us this rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul is asking all of those questions, expecting us to say, no. No, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Because our judgment has been rendered, because our trial already took place and we've been justified, we've been acquitted. And so we can no longer be punished, but but we can be lovingly disciplined. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 12. It actually quotes the proverb that we just read a few moments ago from Proverbs chapter 3. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 3, this is what it says. Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And this is the quote. then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so the author of the letter to the Hebrews expands upon what the Proverbs is trying to tell us, which is that our entire view of discipline should be reshaped by the reality that God loves us and He's displayed that love for us in a Savior who was willing to battle sin to the point of death. Who was tempted time and time again to release himself into all of his deity to call down fire from heaven to right, and instead walked into his death willingly and without sin. And that because of that, when we receive discipline from God, what that really means, what that really means, is that you're not an orphan. When God disciplines us, when He instructs us or when He corrects us, what He's saying is, you're my child. What He's saying is, you're my son. What He's saying is, you're my daughter. And here's maybe one of the reasons that we get confused with that, or, or maybe one of the reasons that that. that, that, that 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 image, that that analogy still doesn't stick because some of us had earthly fathers or earthly mothers who disciplined us punitively, right? Who, when they were angry with us, that was, that was the recourse, right? I'm angry with you, so I'm either going to cast you out of my presence, go sit in your room, or, or maybe I'm going to punish you corporally, right? You're going to feel pain for what you've done. And yet the discipline of the Father God comes to us entirely differently because the punitive discipline has already been put upon Jesus. And so we receive instruction and we receive correction and it's not devoid of pain. It's not easy. It's not always enjoyable. But... It is graciously given from a place of love. And so what does that mean for us this morning? Let's keep reading in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 9. It says this, Besides this, so besides everything that we've just read, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A couple of things we need to note. Number one, discipline. All of us receive it. All of us receive it. Which means none of us should be surprised that we need it. And none of us should be surprised that our brothers and sisters need it. How great is it to be in a place where the playing field is truly level? We all need Discipline. And we will all receive it because the Lord loves us. And in verse 10 it tells us that in His instruction and in His correction, God is strengthening us. That He's actually making us more holy. That He's actually making us more free, not less free. That He's actually making us more like Jesus. And although that discipline does not seem pleasant... Although it's painful, although it's not easy, although it's not particularly enjoyable, it yields a delicious and peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so discipline as a whole, I think as we look at it, right, should be turning upside down a little bit in that most of us would have shuddered at the thought of discipline. Most of us would have tried to mitigate our reception of discipline, either from the Lord or from anyone else. Most of us, right, would be worried, fearful in those moments. And yet what we're being taught here is that it will come, so we shouldn't be surprised, but that when it comes, even though it's unenjoyable, the Lord is at work in us. So what should we do? I think three more verses in Hebrews tell us what, what we should do says, therefore, so because of all of these things, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. If we're going to take anything away from this morning, I think those three verses give us everything that we need. And so I'm going to give us just a few things, I'm going to give us five things that we should do in in light of the Lord's discipline. Number one, we should recognize that we are in this together. Here's the reality, right? Oftentimes we tend to personalize our relationship with the Lord, right? Right? to individualize it. My, My relationship with God is between me and God and nobody else. And I'm sorry, guys, but that is an illusion. In fact, often one of the many ways that God chooses to discipline us, to instruct us and to correct us is through His people. Meaning one another. Meaning that often it's us who are walking around and reminding ourselves of, what we must do, who we must be in light of God's glorious grace to us. Which is why Paul says in verse 14 to strive for peace. He knows that we're all going to receive discipline. He knows that in in many cases that discipline is going to come from one another because we're committed to one another's holiness. And so he says, do so but to strive for peace as you strive for holiness. So we have to recognize that we're in this together. And the second thing that we do in verse 15, the author of the letter to the Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So not only are we in this together, but because we're in this together, we take responsibility for each other. We see to it that nobody falls short What this means, brothers and sisters, is that each and every one of us in this room this morning, if we have called upon the name of Christ for salvation, if we've lovingly been adopted into his family and he now calls us sons and daughters in his household, then we bear a personal and real responsibility for one another, which means that we speak up boldly and to each other's faces not behind each other's backs. When we see one another headed towards destruction, when we see one another walking outside of the boundaries of what Scripture has told us to walk in, we are obligated to correct. And we are also obligated to preemptively instruct. But we're to do it in a way that doesn't produce bitterness, right? That's what it says in the latter half of the verse, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many come defiled. So here's the reality. We need to recognize that we're in this together. We need to take real responsibility for each other. We need to love each other enough to instruct and correct one another. But we need to do it gently, Striving not only for peace in our relationship with one another, but striving for peace in the heart of the person that is disciplined. Here's the reality. God doesn't discipline us in order to shake our faith. He disciplines us in order to strengthen it. And so we have to be careful, brothers and sisters, when we instruct and when we correct one another that we aren't placing an unnecessary burden of doubt upon someone by the way we speak to them. That we're not unnecessarily punitive in our tone, unnecessarily frustrated. We're not harsh because Jesus wasn't harsh with us, right? We talked about this two weeks ago, that Jesus came and he was gentle and lowly in heart and he invites us to come to him. He invites us to come if we're weary and heavy laden because his yoke is easy and his burden is light, And here's what will happen if we do that, right? If If we recognize that we're in this together, if we take responsibility for one another, and if we instruct and correct each other gently, then we will be able to confess freely. Our brothers and sisters, when they are confessing to us, should feel like they're before Jesus they should know that rather than a backhand, there will be a helping hand. A helping hand that will help strengthen their tired hands, that will help carry their weakened knees, that will help them along the way so that they can find healing, as verse 12 says. And finally after recognizing that we're in this together, after taking responsibility for one another, after instructing and correcting one another gently, after willingly and openly confessing freely, knowing that we're not only received by God the Father through the Son, but that we're received by one another in the unity of the Spirit. Finally, we can praise the Lord for His kindness to us. the Bible tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that he is always in every moment loving to us. So even in the moments that are painful, even in the moments that are instructive in a way that hurts, even in the moments that are corrective in a way that reminds us that we're broken and flawed, we can know that God is loving us all the more, not less. What kind of confidence would we walk in if we knew that that was true? What kind of humble willingness would we walk in subjection to the Lord's discipline through his word and through his people? If we knew that this is what God is doing in us, that he's not simply upstairs writing tickets, but that He's lovingly ushering us along all the way to the front door of His kingdom and that we will arrive there having been perfected through this disciplining work. What would it look like, brothers and sisters, if instead of us always having to walk around feeling like we should hide our sin, knowing that we could come to a place where we could be open about it? Because everybody else is dealing with some measure of it as well. What would it look like for us to step in and not only to boldly correct and instruct, but also to lovingly walk alongside? What would it look like to not just be frustrated by each other's problems, but to lovingly walk into the healing of those problems? I think we would look different. I think we would actually be the inclusive community that the world is so eagerly searching for, but that's not really all that inclusive. Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary or regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Because the Lord disciplines the one whom He loves. And He chastises every son, every daughter whom He receives. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this morning. God, I do pray that we would begin to see discipline in a different light. Lord, there is... There is nothing that the enemy would rather do than to have us be confused about your discipline. To have us believe, God, that you're inflicting punishment upon us, that you don't love us, that you're unnecessarily or overly angry with us, Father. Lord, all of those things are lies. Your discipline, God, is one of the surest signs that you love us. And so I pray, Father, that we would indeed be a place where we recognize that we're in this together, where we take responsibility for one another, seeing to it that nobody falls short, speaking up boldly, instructing and correcting each other gently in a way, God, that speaks of the long suffering of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the gentleness of Jesus to us, that we would be that way towards one another especially in our moments of greatest weakness, Father. Lord, that you would make us that kind of place so that we can confess freely, so that we can be a place, God, where it's just not so strange to acknowledge that we're sinful, where it's just not so strange to acknowledge that we're struggling, that we have drooping hands and weak knees, and that we need you and that we need our brothers and sisters to carry us. And that in experiencing the grace of all of those things, we would praise you even in those moments of difficulty. That we would praise you in those moments of discipline for the knowledge that you love us, for being able to know that your discipline, yes, is instructive, yes, is corrective, yes, is painful, but is working glory in us. And may we find that peace that is there, that peaceful fruit, that peace of the soul that no matter what comes our way, we can know we have a Father who loves us enough to discipline us. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name.